When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Drop pass, Drysdale to McDavid down the middle. Wrist shot, score! Hunter McDavid just like that. Smith, three clubbing right hands. Right hands have it. Big right-handed shot from Mike Smith. This is the battle of Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. And it is a very different Easter long weekend from anything we have ever experienced before. But hope you're doing well and are able to be in contact with your loved ones in some way. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is a best of edition of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. We have a lot to get to over the next hour. A lot of news in the sports world recently has centered around events being canceled or postponed or placed on pause the canadian football league has said its season will not start until july at the absolute earliest and we'll see if they're uh, even able to go then i was talking to edmonton eskimos quarterback trevor harris and he had a great story about almost quitting football in high school the young and small trevor harris tried to quit football several times i didn't like it i didn't uh, i didn't enjoy it um i tried to quit my freshman year of high school my mom paid me 50 bucks to finish the year because she said my dad would have been heartbroken and uh, so i was like man 50 bucks that's awesome you know when you're a freshman in high school that's a lot of money and i figured i could eat uh, chinese takeout food for the for first three weeks of the season and uh, so i kind of took that and my first love growing up was basketball i was a hooper um, i used to get to school at 5 30 in the morning and, and shoot hoops until the until the day would start and i try and get four five hundred jumpers up every day and um, you know, I but I was I've always had a strong work ethic, and I've always wanted had a will and a want to, uh, and uh, you know the will to compete and those sorts of things. And throughout high school, my love for the game just kind of grew, and I couldn't believe that colleges wanted to recruit me and pay for my college, and went to a Division two school and uh, kind of just did the best I could with where I was at and used what I had and and loved my teammates. And I looked up, you know, my junior year, and there was NFL teams coming to watch me, and it was uh, very very surreal. Uh, especially in the fact that I didn't see myself as that kind of a player, but I just tried to focus on loving my teammates. And so that's been my process my whole life is just focusing on loving my teammates and uh, doing everything I can to not let them down. And that's kind of what drives me is that my faith in my family and not letting my teammates down. And that's kind of why I think my, my fire never burns out and I'm always able to, you know, have a, have a stronger will to, to win and will to get better every offseason. Now, did you first play, like, how young were you when you, like, first, first started playing? And I'm getting the impression maybe it was your your dad that was encouraging you to get involved in football, or how did that go? Yeah, I started when I was nine years old, and I played free safety and tight end. And uh, my first play ever, I played football. I'll never forget this. 
um, you know, I was looking uh, through my face mask, you know, at the bottom of it with my head tilted up, and I looked out in the stands, and I saw my mom and dad, and I started waving to them, and they started pointing toward the field. And uh, there was a guy named Ricky Beecham. He was this big, tall running back. I uh, played for the Jets, the Mary Midget Football Jets, and he played for the Packers. And he absolutely ran me over like Spike did to kids in the New York and the uh, Little Giants movie. <laughs> and I remember looking up at the sky going, this ain't for me, man. And uh, and then sure enough, I just gutted through that year. And I said, shoot, I'll just play my next year and uh, just see how it goes. And they asked me to play quarterback because I wasn't athletic enough to be running back. And uh I was like, I don't want to play quarterback. I want to run the ball. My dad was a running back. I want to be a running back. And sure enough, I uh, played quarterback and just just really started liking the fact that I was dispersing the ball and I was able to kind of, you know, speak to the guys in the huddle. And it and it, make, it brings a little bit more passion to yourself when you're uh, when you're you're leading guys. And that that kind of attracted me to the sport. And I sort of liked it. And wasn't very good at it in my opinion but uh my freshman year of high school it just kind of gutted through it and i kept working at it and working hard at it and just goes to show if you work hard at something you're going to continue to get better and uh god gave me a passion for this game and a passion to, to love my teammates and it's turned into this which i'm super grateful for and um just this path to, to mastery is never ending and that's kind of what is so unique about this as well for me and um the fact that you know you can just continue to get better continue to learn continue to lead and and every year is its own unique challenges. It's just uh, its just something that's just all so awesome about football. So, okay, so you mentioned a couple other sports, uh, basketball, baseball. You mentioned golf, too. So when you were a kid, who did you look up to as an athlete? Was it, was it football players or were, were, was it athletes in other sports? Um, yeah, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I was the biggest Kobe Bryant fan there in the world. I, I just adored Kobe Bryant to, to the ends of the earth because of the way he approached the game, the way that um, he was tenacious in his preparation. He played every night like it was his last. I'd hear him say um, things like he didn't. Uh, he, he knew that fans weren't going to be able to see him play every night. So even on a, even on road games, he would make sure that he made it a point to go extra hard because he might. That might be the only time somebody gets to see him play. And I just love the passion, uh, the desire he had to play the game, um, the killer instinct, the mentality, and, um, something about the way he played just kind of a, just always attracted me to love the way he was and who he was as an athlete. And so I always loved Kobe Bryant growing up, and maybe that's where my bas- my love for basketball kind of started. But uh, when I was little, I was a Bengals fan, and I looked up to Jeff Blake and Carl Pickens, and if you know, if you know some names like that, you know you're a, you're a long-time NFL fan there. So uh, just enjoyed uh, watching them play every Sunday and dancing on my couch every time he'd hit Carl Pickens deep on a on a go route. And uh, so I'd go outside and be Jeff Blake, and my brother would be Carl Pickens in the backyard, and we'd have a ton of fun with it. Well, some pretty interesting memories there from Trevor Harris and uh, good for the CFL and good for the Eskimos that he was able to stick with it. You know, there was a player in the NHL who had his career placed on pause long before the pandemic hit, and that is Elk Point native Mark Letestu, who played a few games for the Winnipeg Jets in October and then was out and was uh, back in the lineup with the Manitoba Moose of the AHL and hoping to rejoin the Jets in the NHL when the season was placed on pause. And Latestu was struck with something called myocarditis. That's an inflammation of the heart muscle. Uh, it was just uh, simple physicals uh, to start the year, really. Um, you know, I, I didn't have any symptoms or or any obvious signs, whether, you know, chest tightness or shortness of breath or anything like that. It was just going through our, our regular pre-season screenings and uh, had kind of gone through the EKG and, and 
one thing kind of led to another and test after test, uh, and eventually we found it. Uh, what was the issue? Uh, and I, I know nothing about it uh, coming into it. I hadn't heard a lot about it, so I had to kind of read up on it. And then uh, the doctors, uh, the way it works is the inflammation to get out of there, you just have to give your heart a break. Uh, and, that, and that's really all it was. It was, it was a shutdown period uh, for with what they thought was going to be six months. It ended up being a little bit shorter, uh, which is kind of fortunate for me. Uh, and I was about to get back there, uh, but then obviously uh, our world has kind of changed here, and, and it's taken a back seat. Yeah. So, did, were you? Did you have any pain, or were you were you weak, or have less energy, or out of breath, or anything like that, or it just was something that maybe if you weren't a pro hockey player, wouldn't have even been discovered? Yeah. I honestly, I had nothing. I had no no signs of anything no symptoms and that's probably the hardest part of when people are asking you uh you know how you're doing or, or how you're feeling you, you feel fine uh I, I had nothing that i felt uh was limiting me uh but doctors are for they're doctors for a reason uh, so you just you heed their advice uh because it's obviously very serious it's not it's not like playing with a broken arm uh where the break might just get worse. Uh, obviously, if you play with something like this, uh, you put your life in your hands, and and I'm not ready to to do that on a consistent basis. Yeah. So when were you able to? And I know you were recently cleared to play or, or cleared to you know practice again and stuff, which is another disappointing level to the season being placed on pause. But when did you sort of start? To, were you allowed to maybe be a little more active and, and work out or do things like that? Well, I was able to work out uh, right from right from the diagnosis, but there was with with limitations. So I couldn't get my heart rate kind of in the one fifty range. Everything had to be conversational. Uh, so for for a professional athlete, quite a bit less than what I'm used to pushing. Uh, so coming back then now, probably a month ago, where I got cleared to finally practice and skate and push into those upper limits, uh, it, it set me back conditioning wise. And obviously, there's a bit of a mountain to climb, uh, which is got another little obstacle in it here. Mark, a little bit of an anniversary. It's going to be three years ago on Saturday that the Oilers clinched a playoff spot in 2017. You guys were able to beat the LA Kings to nail down a playoff spot, finally ending what was known as uh, as the decade of darkness. What, what do you remember about building to that clinching scenario and and every player even the guys who weren't here for the majority of those 10 years which you weren't knew about what the franchise had been here and the angst of the fans what what do you remember about the the clinching game and everything going on around the team at that time well i think the the thing i take with it is the relief afterwards uh getting in i think uh you know my first year the, the closing of rexall and i don't think we we're really expected to to make the playoffs it was connor's first year in the injury uh but then obviously he comes back uh puts in you know the year he had and the team has you know there's several players on that team that had great years and i think it's the reason why we were able to get in and, and do you know and win around in the playoffs uh, but i just remember that winning that game and finally being in uh you know kind of uh kind of a weight off the shoulders because all i mean all you hear is you know it's been a decade it's been 11 years it's been whatever so that that pressure mounts on no matter who's wearing the uniform it doesn't matter if you've been there one year or or, or all 10 uh there's certainly a cloud of pressure around it and to to get in and get a chance uh, at a Stanley Cup and finally 
I mean, I, for me, skating out for the, the warm-up in game one uh, was special. Like, just the energy, uh, the pent-up energy, the city, the province, the surrounding area had uh, was really cool to be part of. I, you know, I work with Rob Brown. We do overtime open line after every Oilers game. Rob played in the NHL. He uses the word belief a lot. When do you think that 16-17 team started to believe it was actually a good team? Do you understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, you know, and, that, and that's tough for me to pinpoint uh, because I, I, I don't necessarily think, you know, in training camp you, you got a... You, know, you got one of those situations where I think everybody says they want to win the Stanley Cup, but you don't actually start believing it until, you know, a lot of cutoffs are American Thanksgiving. If you're in a spot, then you're like, oh, okay, you know, we've we got a shot at this. We're, we're in the playoff position. You know, I'd say that we're going to be in at the end. So maybe at that point, you know, you're playing at a certain level and you're in the playoffs at that point. Uh, you're thinking if you play consistently, you're going to get in. Uh, but we knew we had special players, uh, but that's obviously not a not a – a definite when it comes to playoffs it is it's truly a team game uh, and maybe as as the season went on we started to believe more and more but i thought our coaching staff was very good about uh you know keeping focus you know day to day taking care of what we could that day uh and i think it led to us having more success as the year went on that is mark latestu 2006 mvp in the alberta Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Junior Hockey League, now with the Winnipeg Jets organization. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Well, nothing funny about the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal that helped them win the World Series. Ryan Dempster, Canadian, former big league pitcher, is going to tell us what he thinks about that. But there is a lot of funny things about... Ryan Dempster's career, he was uh, known as being a bit of a clubhouse goofball when he pitched, and he was no stranger to pulling off clubhouse pranks. <laughs> I don't know. I got a list of about 100 of them. Um, yeah, well, different ones, clubhouse pranks. I mean, there was anything from, you know, the frozen, you could do the, the frozen shirt, so you take somebody's shirt, hang it on a, um, uh, uh, what do you call a cord, uh, what do they call those things, hanger. Yeah, uh, put it on a hanger soak it in water put it in the freezer and then you put it in their locker the next day so they come in and go put their favorite shirt on and it's frozen there's you know the the typical hot foot or things like that the eye black on the inside of the hat so you put eye black on the inside of their hat so when they put their hat on and then they go shag and then they come back in and have a gigantic black line around their forehead it's pretty funny um but my favorite one i think i ever did was uh will omen who was a, a left-handed reliever we had, he pulled a couple little pranks on me, and as, you, as guys found out quickly, I was the wrong guy to do that to. So the next day, I, I brought a camera crew in from MLB uh, Productions, and I took his car, 
pulled it up in front of the clubhouse while he was out shagging batting practice, put it up on blocks, took all four of his tires, and then hit him around the ballpark. <laughs> so um, I told him if, if he messed with me again, he could be expecting his house on some sort of stilts. And uh, that was the last time he ever did anything. How long did it take him to find the tires? Um, he started to find them pretty quick. The best part was he found two of them quickly because one was in the shower. And and then after he couldn't find the third one, um, the camera crew was strutting out with him. And then he's trying to play Johnny Cool Guy, like with his chest puffed out, his peacock feathers up, like like they were doing like a special on left-handed relievers, you know. And they followed him all the way out to the bullpen, and the last tire was sitting in the bullpen waiting for him. So, yeah, I like to have a good time. That's it. Well, yeah, you sound like a fun teammate for sure, as, as long as you're on the right side of your, your jokes, I suppose. Uh, on a on a less uh, on a less joking matter uh we we haven't talked just since the houston astros got uh busted for sign stealing so you know the manager got fired the gm got fired uh, a couple other guys who were with the astros that year and went on to other organizations didn't keep their jobs uh, they they do keep the world series um ryan you know as a guy who pitched and, and sign stealing has been a part of baseball probably since the first ever game where they use signs uh but I mean, in my mind, the Astros certainly took it to a next level and certainly uh, uh, used technology the way perhaps it had never been used before. I'm just, I'll start generally, your reaction when, when this story all broke. Yeah, just unfortunate. Unfortunate for the game because they do have really talented players there. So then you have this, like, what would have happened had they not done that? And so there's there's that aspect. I, I just said, just for my opinion, I, I just say throw an asterisk next to it. An asteroid, an, an astroix, right. Nick? What would you call an astronix? Yeah, something like that. Um, something like that. Just where, you know, when people say, well, why is that there? Well, this is what happened because over time people will forget, right? And the truth is they... They did something that they shouldn't have been doing. And I think Evan Gaddis gave an interview the other day. He was really candid about it and really great. He said, yeah, it is tainted. Um, we cheated the game, and it's, and it's not right, and it's not fair. But in the moment, it's hard, I think, sometimes when you're getting away with something. I said it's like somebody who continuously, you know, drives 20 miles an hour over the speed limit and then gets pulled over for speeding, and they're like, well, what, what, what's going on here? This is ridiculous. Why am I getting punished? like well you know when you when you continuously get away with something get away with something you just think that it's okay and then you start to become a culture that thinks that's okay and everybody starts to feel that way um and and so they they got punished they got punished in a big way um the people are not going to forget and even when they get back to playing baseball it's going to go on on and on and it's unfortunate that it happened it's unfortunate for the teams that weren't doing it i just wondered how like at some point nobody heard it like if i'm out on the mound and every time i'm throwing a breaking ball and they're laying off good pitches and i just keep hearing a whack 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 like you know Purton's playing drums down in the tunnel like somebody's got to say something you know and i just i thought it was interesting that over that whole period that nobody ever even really noticed about it so when you pitched I mean the whole I guess the most common situation I would think of there's there's a runner on second base so your catcher has to I, what would you guys you would change the you would change the, the way he would give you the, the pitch call or what would you do 
Oh, man, so many different ways. You do first sign after two, first sign after uh, three. You could do second sign, shake, go to first sign. Um, you could go sign after out. So if there's one out, it's the sign after you put down a one. If there's two outs, it's after two. Um, you, and then you shake and you wipe and you have touches on the mask. And you have so many different formulas. I always felt the easiest way to do it, to, if you felt like somebody were t stealing signs from you, you just call your catcher out. You say, hey, call for a slider down and away right here. And then you just throw a fastball right underneath the guy's chin. And they'll stop real quick. Right. <laughs> they'll just go. They'll just really quickly go. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I think maybe we got this wrong, guys. And I'm not really going to be on this program the rest of the evening. And and then you just kind of go about your way. And <laughs> I always felt that was a really good way. That is some chin music from Ryan Dempster. <laughs> This is Armando Sewell of the Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. So many great stories and so many great storytellers in the world of sports across Canada and the United States. We caught up with one. Tim Roy is the play-by-play -play voice of the NBA's Golden State Warriors. Crowder to throw it in. Down the floor, high in the air. It's a jump ball. Hail Mary deflected away. Iguodala saves it to Azili. Ball game's over. Curry spikes the ball at the buzzer. And the Golden State Warriors keep the streak going. In double overtime, the Warriors went 124 to 119. That is the voice of our next guest, Tim Roy. He's the play-by-play -play voice of the Golden State Warriors on 97.5 The Game. Tim, thanks for joining us on Inside Sports in Edmonton. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, like everybody else, it's a, it's a weird time, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And, and um, you know, you're just, uh, you know, they here uh, in the U.S., they've asked us to shelter in place again for another month. We'll be uh, in the house till end of April, then we'll see where we are at that point. Uh, you know, we were lucky a little bit here in California. Our, the San Francisco's mayor and our governor were very quick to react and to get people, you know, uh, from gathering, for the most part, you know, I mean, there's people everywhere who are, you know, uh, really looking at this as seriously as they should. But, um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, um, hopefully it's not as bad as, as it could be. And, and uh, you know, I'm just, just going to do uh, do my part here. And, and uh, I've got enough i got a little studio in my home office here i can work from home i can do we have a weekly show tomorrow night so i'll do that and and uh, just kind of you know do what you can yeah well well said tim and we appreciate you uh taking the time to join us here uh, on six thirty. chad uh an interesting opportunity for us to catch up with you Let, let's start with that bit of bit of audio that you played and, and thanks to one of your colleagues for firing me off a couple of your play-by-play -play clips uh was that so that was the longest winning streak to start a season what was that 2015 we're looking at yeah 24 and 0 to start the season um it ended up in a bitter uh you know bitter case they lose to cleveland in in seven games and when you go to the warriors practice facility you know they have all the you know championship banners up in the practice facility there as well as inside the arena but they do have a plaque in one side or a, a, a sign if you will and it says you know best regular season record 73 and nine but they don't make it very big it's 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 there to remind them that yeah it was a great year but didn't end the way you wanted to but it, those were uh 
really magical times. You know, I was I was blessed to be along for the ride there, the five year ride, and uh, you know, one of the best streaks, you know, in, in history. In fact, you know, you had to go back to the to the Stanley Cup in the mid fifties to find two teams that had faced each other in the finals four years in a row. Uh, would have been Montreal, Detroit in the fifties, would have it not? I believe so. Yeah, I believe. I know. I know one of them was the Red Wings. I believe the other one was the uh, the hated Les Habitants. <laughs> well, because I believe, because uh, I believe the Can- <laughs> it was only a sixteen league, but I believe the Canadians were in the final right. ten years in a row. I think they won one yeah, of their first five, and, and then and then won five in a row. Uh, Tim, uh, nineteen ninety five, you started doing Warriors games. 95 Warrior games uh, got in the NBA in 1989. Um, yeah, as you can tell, I'm, I, I grew up in New England, therefore that's my my disgust at anything Montreal Canadiens. Gila oh. Fleur ruined my childhood. Um, but uh, no, so yeah, so I've, I've been here a long time, and, and it's 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 a great place to be. Uh, the Warriors announcer. It's a, it's an incredible fan base, and we were awful for a long, long time. But these people kept coming out. They, they came out in in numbers year in, year out, and they know what good basketball is. They don't get fooled by you know a flash in the pan. They know what's lasting, and so it's always been a privilege to uh, to announce this fan base. Well, and I wanted to ask you about that. And f- for the Oilers here, I mean, we had the we had the decade of darkness. They didn't make the playoffs for. 10 years they got in in 2017 and then they've missed the the, the last two again this year they you know they they were going to get in and they they will be in if, if the playoffs do uh, get picked up here but i i believe in your first you'll correct me if i'm wrong i believe in your first 15 seasons as golden state warriors play-by-play announcer you called one playoff series and now obviously we know yeah. them as as an incredible franchise like what turned it around eventually well, uh, here's here's what happened uh, from working well on the Kings broadcast. I wasn't doing play-by-play for every game, but by the time I left in 94-95, I was coming off a, a season where I'd done 50 games. But and but from 89 through 2006, the NBA teams I announced for did not get the 500. And then in 06-07, we... Uh, made the playoffs the warriors beat dallas in the first round lost in the second round and then again go back down a little bit of a, a dark period for a while and what changed is when the team was sold uh, we uh, got new owners with joe lakeup and peter goober and uh, they basically said from day one hey we're going to win we're going to spend the money to win we're going to commit to win we're going to hire great people and they've done that and and that's been the biggest difference and of course you know let's face it um you, you get when you win and, and you do it through the draft sometimes you get a little lucky and people didn't see in steph curry what don nelson saw in steph curry what larry riley saw in steph curry he was our general manager at the time and they um they eventually uh, looked at Steph Curry, and when they drafted him, Don Nelson told me we got the best passer in the draft, which I thought was a really interesting thing to say because he was the best shooter in the draft. And so I'm thinking, okay, if he's the best passer and the best shooter, we've got a player here. And it was evident from day one that when he had the ball and he was on the floor, uh, the Warriors were a better team, and there was something special about him. People, people follow Steph Curry. 
and and because he's such a generous and, and unselfish superstar. So when you combine the ownership sale and the drafting of Steph Curry, and that set in motion this chain of events that led to this incredible run they had. Tim Roy joining us tonight on Inside Sports does play-by-play for the Golden State Warriors. Happy to catch up with Tim tonight. Tim, uh, do you call? Are all the NBA announcers always courtside? Nobody does it from up top, do they? Like oh no, no, we're radio, radio, and and now for a certain part, TV are going off the floor. Radio's been off the floor now for probably about the last ten years. Oh, really? and, I didn't uh, realize that. Okay. Yeah, only only a certain amount of of, uh, of places are we still on the floor, and that that's going to change probably in the next four or five years. We're on the floor in Toronto in the second row, which is a great great spot to be in, and we're on the floor in, in Phoenix and Chicago and a couple of other places, but but that's really about it. And um, so yeah, so it's, it's it's different. You don't have the intimacy. You're not privy to some of the back and forth between the officials and the players and the coaches. But, you know, he, it's it's the sign of the times. They can make a lot of money selling those seats. Right. And and you can't can't argue with that. But uh, but yeah, we're not we're not in the gondola just yet, but we are off the floor. Okay. Uh, Tim, we got to talk briefly uh, last week when we were we were setting this up and I and I want you have a couple of Edmonton tie ins that we're gonna get I to. Do. But I, I wanna take you like back to the very beginning, if 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 there is a if there is a significant mark, like was there a, do you remember the first game or event you did play-by-play for or what made you want to do it? I mean, it's a, it's a great profession. Comes with a, a lot of accolades, obviously, if you're good at it and reach the, the peak of it like, like you have, but it's also incredibly competitive to, to get a job in one of the four major pro leagues. But where did it kind of start for you? Well, um, it's, it's, I, was, I had a, a period of time when I was a kid and I was sick. And my mom had fallen off a ladder and, and injured her eye. And, and she, she was legally blind in her left eye. And that qualified her for getting records that were basically books on records, kind of like, you know, getting a, an audio book today. Except back then, you know, you didn't have the Internet, but you had a record because they'd send you a little photograph player and the and the books on record you wanted, and you could get them for free if, if you were legally blind. And my mom would order these records, and while she did her housework and, and when she'd come back from her job, she would listen to these records. And so I was sick, and so she ordered me a record. She knew I liked sports. And there was a, uh, a book by a guy named Red Barber, who was a great announcer in Major League Baseball for years, and he narrated the book. And it was, it was, I was spellbound. I thought, this is such a cool thing. What a great way to make a living. What a great job to have. And so from that point, when I was about eight years old, it's really all I've ever wanted to do. And to be blessed to do it, I mean, every day I come in this office, I start going through stuff. I do some work. I was working on some old interviews today that we're going to air on our weekly show, some nostalgic ones. And, and, uh, it never feels like work to me. It's always fun. It's always, you know, uh, you know, my passion is, is my job and, and it's, it's great. And so that's a, and then the first, wow, the first game I did professionally, I'd done some public address work at some baseball leagues around Hartford, Connecticut, but I went to college in upstate New York, Utica College, and they had a fledgling uh, hockey program at the time, and I was the one who would get up and, and you know, they 
couldn't get good ice time, so sometimes their games were like 8 a.m. on on Sunday. And so, you know, who in college gets up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday to go to, <laughs> you know, D3 hockey? But that's what I did. And after my sophomore year, the local radio station, the play-by-play guy for hockey got promoted from the, his uh, job, and, and so he couldn't do all the games. It was an Eastern League team in town, the Utica Mohawks, coached by a guy named Larry Mickey, who had spent some time with the Buffalo Sabres. And so they needed a backup minor league hockey announcer, and I fit, I fit their criteria perfectly. I was young and naive and to be had cheap. And so um, I did about 20 games that year for him. And then that led to a summertime job and everything else. But, yeah, minor league hockey was the the first sport I ever did. You just gave a great quote, young, naive, and to be had cheap. That's what I'm going to ask people who are going to our local broadcasting college here in Edmonton about how to get into the business. Be young, naive, and be had cheap. (laughs) Now, what's you you do have, uh, people are going to love this. We'll we'll stick with the hockey theme. uh, There's a sort of a sort of a tie into the Oilers? What was this about again? There is a tie into the Oilers. I have a tie into the Oilers. Um, when that year, uh, I did a game down, uh, a couple games down in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, the Cherry Hill Aces. They were coached by a guy named Muzz McPherson, who would show up and he had that punch Imlac fedora on. You know, he always had that behind the, the bench. And he was great to me. I mean, he was he was perfect for, you know, you're always looking and doing minor league hockey. To, to, you know, if you don't have somebody back in the studio, which I didn't, I had to fill that time in between periods. And so I would go and do these long interviews, and Muzz was great. I could ask him three questions. He'd give me 15 minutes. It was awesome. And uh, he had this gravelly old voice, and his claim, one of his claims to fame was that he was the coach of the Sioux Greyhounds in the Ontario Junior League, and his star player was Wayne Gretzky. And so uh, that's one of my ties to Edmonton. And then the other one is that I've had this great career where I've been able to do so many different things and in different sports is that I'm one of the few Americans that has called Canadian League football, Canadian football league games. And we, I was the, one of the voices, the radio voice the first year, and I was on the TV broadcast the second year of the Sacramento Gold Miners. No way. And so uh, I've been to Commonwealth. I loved it. I thought it was fun. I personally, I thought it was the best field in the CFL at the time, and um, just just enjoyed it and enjoyed the league. I thought it was so much fun because you, you know it's, it's it's the rare football league where you're you know it's almost like an arena league where you're down 21 with four minutes to go and yet you still have a great chance. You can really get back in the game really quickly, and so uh, I enjoyed my time. Oh, that's all. Yeah, David Archer, Sacramento Gold Miners quarterback. David Archer, yeah, yeah, and Mike Pringle. And, uh, yeah, we had had some decent players, but we had a coach that was a little stubborn, shall we say. Uh, He thought on on third and one or second and one that you would run the fullback blast where the fullback would get the ball eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. And that doesn't seem to work in the in the CFL. Was that was that so. Kay Stevenson? Was he the coach then? That was Kay, Kay Stevenson. Who then? Yes. And he coached one year here with the Eskimos, 
was when Archer was the quarterback, and he uh, his brief tenure is not fondly remembered by most fans of the green and gold. Shall we just leave it at that? There was a, <laughs> there was a, I have a uh, one, my first year, we, our backup quarterback was Kerwin Bell, kid who played at Florida. Really nice guy. And he was a huge NBA fan, so we would talk NBA all the time, because I was with the Kings broadcast then. And Archer got his, his bell rung on a play, and they brought him off the field, and the they had the ball on the right hash, and they called for like a like a almost like an old term, a down and out. I don't know what the route was, but it was a, a throw to the far sideline. So Bell makes this throw, and I see him. He's trying to loosen his arm up. So after the game, I asked Ray. He goes, "I said the first time I ever had to throw a fifty yard down and out because <laughs> the field is so wide that you know he wasn't used to that. He really had to hammer that thing to try to get it out there, but." But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed Edmonton. You know, I, I, one of the, the great things that I got to do in that league was I got to places I probably wouldn't have, you know, uh, automatically gotten to, like like Edmonton. I won't mention Calgary. I know, I know the audience. Um, you, know, you, you know, you go three times to Vancouver in one year. How, how good is that? I mean, Toronto and, and, you know, the only place I really – can honestly say that I'll probably never get back to was Regina. They just just didn't have a lot going on there. So they love the team, though. They 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 love oh. that team. It's like it's like oh. a U.S. college atmosphere. The way they rally around that club. You know, you're absolutely right, and and they were great people. This is not a lot to do there. You know, uh, we try. We had an early. I might have been our first or second game was up there, and I remember we tried to get in a quick round of golf, and this is what probably July probably, yeah. and uh, I remember on my second putt I looked down on my arm and there were mosquitoes lined up like oh, they were man. in a gas line on my arm, <laughs> you know. Just then I thought, oh my god, yeah. so, but, we we get those little critters here too, but uh, yeah, oh, man. Uh, Tim Roy joining us on Inside Sports, play-by-play voice for the Golden State Warriors, and he shared some memories of uh, calling uh, ECHL hockey and doing some CFL games in the 90s. Man, Tim, I, I wish we had more time, but I, I want to wrap up with kind of a maybe a bit of a quirky one. But you've okay. made you've made most of your, your living as a play-by-play man doing basketball. You, you mentioned you've done some other sports. At, at this point in your career, if they said, okay, Tim, like, we need you to do, like, 30 uh, San Francisco Giants games or you got to do San Jose Sharks for a month, would you kind of be like, well, broadcasting broadca- is broadcasting and play-by-play is play-by-play, or would you feel a little off-kilter doing a different sport now? No, I, I, I think I could do it about uh, maybe, let's see, about... 15 years ago, I was also one of the TV announcers of the Oakland A's. And so I would get about 30 games a summer. And so I did both. I still do some minor league baseball up in Sacramento when they need somebody to fill in for their guy. And um, and actually, uh, one of the awards that I've won in my career was when I was in Phoenix in the late 80s. And I won Best Play-By-Play Award in the state of Arizona one year and because, because I convinced my boss to let me broadcast a, a, a preseason game between the New York Rangers, I think it was Vancouver, oh. came into Phoenix. They were trying to drum up some... Uh, some support, and so I convinced him to let me do the game. I did the game, and he liked it so much. He submitted for an award, and I won. And that was the only hockey game I had done in about, about five years. So that was uh, that was pretty remarkable. 
That's awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we've made contact. Really appreciate sharing some stories and and letting people know on uh, how how you've been able to accomplish what you have and and, uh, how the Warriors were able to turn it around as a franchise. And and now that I got your number, the next time the Warriors start a season 25-0 and or whatever, we're going to have to get you on the show. Yeah, absolutely, and, and uh, just again, can't tell you how much fun I had uh, with my time in Edmonton, and and loved going there. And uh, just to everybody, just be safe. It's um, you know, I appreciate my parents now. They lived through the depression, and they always had canned goods on hand because they were never going to stand in a food line again. And so I appreciate what they went through now, and uh, I just hope everybody stays safe. All right, that's Tim Roy. This is the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Man, that was a great chat with Tim and uh, a lot of ties, a lot of his experience in Canada. Who remembers the Sacramento gold miners? And then they moved. And what were they in their last year? The uh, the, uh, San Antonio Texans. That's who they were in their last year in the Canadian Football League. The good old American expansion days in the CFL. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. All right, well, we're winding her down tonight. Really appreciate you tuning in, and uh, I hope you are safe and healthy wherever you are. Tough time for a lot of people. It really is a pleasure to be able to bring you the show, and if it's a little bit of a distraction or or helps you get through your day, then that certainly means a lot to me. This has been a best of edition of the show. You've heard from Trevor Harris, Mark Letestu, Ryan Dempster, and Tim Roy. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Happy Easter. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.